This is the Oklahoma Talking Company. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for coming around again. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Hey, what's shaking, cats and kittens? Welcome to the OKC Show. I'm your host, Jason Baffrey, and I'm happy to be back with you for another edition of our great program. And we thank you for tuning in on Oklahoma Talking Company. If you haven't checked out the website yet, you can go to oklahomatalking.co. As you know, we talk about a lot of different things here on the OKC show. Uh, Some of it is events and just fun things going on around town. We tell interesting stories about people. You've heard some of those in our recent shows. And we talk a little bit of business here and there. And I think we're going to capture a little bit of all of that here today with our guest. And I'm excited to have Dave Evans from Evans Consulting Group in the studio with me today. And uh, I'm most excited because he is also a fellow podcaster. He hosts the Bold Leadership Podcast. Uh, But Dave spent 22 years in the United States Air Force. He was the Deputy Operations Group Commander for the uh, 552nd. Is that right? Yeah, That is it. The 552nd. A command pilot with more than 3,400 hours in the air. Uh, Over 1,000 of those are in combat and combat support operations. He also commanded the largest AWACS unit in the Middle East. He was part of uh, Operations Southern Watch, Northern Watch, Desert Fox, Enduring Freedom, Iraqi Freedom, and Noble Eagle. And that was his military career. He retired in 2013 as a lieutenant colonel. And uh, he went into business for himself with the Evans Consulting Group. He's been working in the energy sector recently. He also helped the Oklahoma State Legislature as they developed rules for compressed natural gas around the state. And and that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg with Dave's resume. But Dave, thank you for coming in and being with us on the OKC Show. And more importantly, thank you for, wow, a tremendous 22 years of service to our country and uh, being out there and fighting for us all. Well, Jason, it's a privilege to be here, and I am humbled uh, by the introduction. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes when I hear all that, it it scares me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, But I I am truly privileged and blessed to be here. Um, I've had the Lord is my guide for many, many years, and thank goodness things are working out, and I'm having fun again. Yeah. So. so all of your combat hours, well, let's talk a little bit about your military career. Um, was that as an AWACS pilot, or did you fly multiple aircraft? I actually uh, started in AWACS back in 96, where I met my beautiful wife, Andrea. She was a student at OU. We ended up getting married, and I drug her to Warner Robins, Georgia, to fly the Joint Stars. So when the war kicked off in 01, I was actually flying Joint Stars. And after a route around the nation and other jobs, my wife worked us back to Oklahoma City because she's from Tulsa. This is home for her. Um, so we came back here, and now we're retired, and we love the community, and we're Okies at heart. Yeah. Where are you from originally? I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. Uh, and I haven't the, been back, honestly. The home of Elvis. The home of Elvis, absolutely. Yeah. Um, great man, great singer, uh, interesting <laughs> past. Yeah. Um, and always a fun event when you go to Memphis. Yeah, absolutely. So being involved in all of those different operations, I mean, and and obviously commanding uh, an air group like that, being over in the Middle East during all of those operations, you learned a lot about life, a lot about leadership. uh, And and I know you probably have uh, just tremendous ideas that you can bring into 
um, what we have to talk about today with leadership and business and, and just life in general. I think the most amazing thing I learned is how neat and how innovative people just coming out of high school and college are. I mean, those young people never cease to amaze me with their ingenuity and ability to solve problems. As long as you give them the ability to go do it, they did. I mean, we we pushed in combat, my last com- command tour, that team pushed our mission effectiveness rate from 92% to 98% over a six-month period. I mean, it's unheard of. It's probably one of the best deployments that AWACS had seen in many, many years. And that, that wasn't me. That was the young men and women that were allowed to go do their job and were excited about their job and understood what it meant to take care of those young soldiers on the ground in Afghanistan. It has to be for somebody who has not served in the military. And I know there's probably a lot of us out there listening to the show. um, It has to be really uh, an eye opener to to go overseas and be part of those situations. And and what we get from the media can't even begin to relate to those of us that haven't been there, what it's really like, one, to be in a in a combat situation, but to just be in another country, completely different culture. And, you know, is there any light you can shed on? All of that, uh, I mean, just for, for those of us that don't really know, I mean, I'm not talking national secrets here, but, you know, just a general view. I mean, what, what we see on TV, through the news, how much different is that than what, you know, what life's really like over there? I would say the news media has changed over the last 30 years, as you know. I mean, for those of us that, those of us that grew up with Walter Cron- Cronkite, you know, he told the truth. I mean, he, he was pushing the news out there anymore. It's a lot of sensationalism. And I'll be frank with you. uh, I don't watch the news. Um, I read the news. I make my own opinion. I understand that they're trying to sell a product and you need to do that when you watch news, because honestly, a lot of what's said in the news is half truce. And I'm not being mean. They're trying to sell a story. They're trying to promote their brand. Um, What I will tell you is that the young seamen, soldiers, and airmen overseas right now, A, they love what they do. They're very good at it, and they're very professional. And their experiences are extremely challenging, and they're asked to do things that most people can't understand. Um, I don't know how many nights we were up, and a firefight would break out on the ground, and we're our team is helping our teammates on the ground stay alive. I mean, frankly, calling in airstrikes to ensure their safety and protection so they can go home and see their families at the end of their tour. And I think we need to understand that. The politics aside, we have Americans that are risking their life every day to protect the values we believe in. Um, One of the greatest things about traveling, frankly, is that you get to meet other people. And it was amazing when we would sit down and have dinner with our Emirati compatriots, our teammates from the Emirates, they were very much like us for the most part. The commanders in the Emirates They had children, their kids played hockey, they played soccer, they went to school. Um, They just wanted their children to be safe, just like we want our children to be safe. So when you cut the top layer off of all of it and you look at it, most people are the same. Now, are there fanatics? There's fanatics everywhere and they're gonna do crazy stuff and we have to defend against that. And it's very important. But we also need to understand that you need to look at life through other people's lenses. They were brought up differently. They grew up differently. It's so different than if you're a city kid that grew up with a, in a very privileged life and you go out to a farm. Sure. And it, we, we have different perspectives. So we have to embrace those perspectives and understand there's evil people in the world that need to be dealt with. But in the most case, most people aren't evil and they're out there to do bad things, in my opinion. Okay. 
Very interesting. So after a lengthy career in the military, you come home or you retire to Oklahoma, and what brought you into the business? Obviously, you had been a leader for a long time, but instead of uh, you know going out with the fish, fishing pole or doing your favorite hobby, you j- decided to jump into business and uh, help teach leadership to people. Yeah, my wife gave me two rules. First, she said I had to retire. Then she gave me two rules. You can't be gone all the time again, and you have to get a job that makes money and pays the bills. So that was the <laughs> that was the basically the birth of my own business. Um, I felt like it was the right thing for me to do. I was working to get into the energy space and understand oil and gas because that's a large part of what Oklahoma City does. Um, and I wanted to understand it. So I kind of took a different path. I didn't go to the airlines like many of my friends did, and they're having a great time and they're hugely successful. But, you know, Andrea wanted me to be there for the kids. I'd been gone a lot yeah, and missed most of my kids growing up. So it was time for dad to spend time with the family, find a good job in town. And honestly, I'm extremely passionate about young people and watching them grow and mentoring them and helping them be successful. I mean, that, that's our whole purpose in life. Mm-hmm. So through that, you uh, you do a lot of different things, but I mean, you focus on leadership, but you also have a, a passion about entrepreneurship. Um, talk a little bit about what you have done with youth leaders, uh, young business people in your work. Well, that's interesting because I've I've got I've been lucky enough to find the OKC Entrepreneur Group, and if you're not a member of it, it's free. It's once a month. They're on Meetup.com. You've got to go. That's some of the youngest most energetic people you're going to be around. And the meetings on Thursday nights once a month are absolutely fabulous. Um, And what I found is that these young people are the same as the young people that I worked with in the military. They're extremely bright. They have great ideas. They know how to leverage technology. And they're doing things that we don't see. I mean, one of the young men that I work with on a regular basis, uh, Zach Starr, uh, host the crowdfunding Genius, genius podcast, and he helps people understand how to crowdfund. And if you want to build a campaign to launch your new product, you know he's one of those guys that you would go to, and he would help you build your crowdfunding campaign so you can succeed because there's an art to it. He and Brandon are doing an amazing job. And then the team uh, that brought one million cups to Oklahoma City. I mean, another great group that meets on Wednesdays at nine a.m. of young businesses and young entrepreneurs, and you can sit in a room for an hour with like-minded people and learn about new businesses and entrepreneurship. I mean, it is absolutely fascinating, hmm. all the neat things going on in Oklahoma City right now. So all of the uh, the lackadaisical youth who are just uh, not really concerned about doing anything, just playing video games, that's uh, not exactly true. There's, uh, there's more out there to them than that? Uh, I'd say yes. You know, it's funny because when I grew up in the 70s, I'll age myself a little bit, you know, we were obsessed with riding bikes and playing football That's yeah. like our, our basketball or soccer or, you know, playing in the creek. Um, technology has changed that. So our kids interact, they communicate through those games. Is it bad? No, it's different. And, and what, what I see is that these young people are leveraging that experience with technology to to capture a larger group of friends. I mean, my son. I'll use, for example, is 13. You know, he'll play NBA basketball with kids in New York, California, Florida. And he has a group of friends that are growing. I mean, the world is shrinking for these young people. And what that allows them to do is have a business idea, leverage that network of friends across the world to grow their business faster and scale. 
Um, that's something that we couldn't do back in the 70s and 80s. I mean, it just you just couldn't do it as easily as you can today. Right. I, I should point out that I, I don't think I've sounded more like the crotchety old man that I'm turning out to be than I did just there. And that's because, I mean, you, I've read a lot of news stories recently that have said today's youth, I mean, this generation, they're just not going anywhere. They're not doing anything. They don't want to do anything. But I think that's from a grand scale. And I've actually had more and more people in here uh, talking recently that have talked about, you know, the younger people today and how motivated they are, how intelligent they are, and that they want to be entrepreneurs, but they're not taking the usual methods that we saw back in, you know, the 70s and 80s and, and early 90s to get there because of technology. Yeah, I'll share a story with you to kind of bring it all together. So this is 1998, and I'm at Tinker Air Force Base flying AWACS. And I'm in the sim building in our simulators, our flight sim, and my commander is standing in the room right next to me. Um, I'm sitting on the couch just preparing for my simulator. And he stood there and told, uh, listened to him tell the sim instructors how bad my generation was. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I heard, you know, these young people don't want to work. They don't care about the same things we do. And it was funny because when he was finished, I, I walked up to him and I go, sir, um, um, I, I, I understand you have a concern about the next generation. And I want to tell you that all of us believe in the same things you do. And we love what we do and we're passionate about it. We just look at it differently. It's not wrong. It's just different. And I think as you, as you embrace different generations, they're going to look at things differently. I mean, this hasn't changed in the last 200 years. Um, So I encourage business leaders to have an open ear and listen, because you'll be amazed at the ideas these young people come up with. I mean, just because you've done something one way for 20 years and it's worked doesn't mean it's the best way to do it. Um, And I think we need to encourage our, our young entrepreneurs, our young business leaders to to step out and, and speak up. I, I call it leading up. You know, find a way to communicate with the old man who grew up with a, you know, a rotary dial telephone and black and white television. Tell him that, hey, you know, there's phones, you can talk to each other and you can leverage our time better. And we don't need to sit at a desk from nine to five. Um, we can get more done if we're moving. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the thing that you get if you try to stay young and up with the times. Yeah. Mentorship is uh, something that you've mentioned a couple of times. Um, it, I feel, and and having done a show recently with uh, the Mentoring Project, being involved with them and, and other people that are taking mentorship very seriously on a variety of levels, but business mentorship is something that we don't think a lot about, but it's really important. I mean, there's mentorship on all levels, and to be able to have somebody that you work with or connected with in a business relationship or even through civic groups, uh, networking groups, whatever that's like, to take somebody younger and, and help them along or more likely these days, even learn from them, uh, I think is a great relationship to have. Uh, You're right. It is. And and there's two benefits gained because all of us when we're young, we're very energetic and we want to try everything. And there's some things that probably aren't as smart to try. So you can try and fail, or you can sit down and have that open dialogue with somebody who has experience in the industry and understand why it failed and how it failed, and maybe find a new way to do it that hadn't failed in the past. The whole point of mentorship for young people is to help them along, um, provide provide that sounding board um, to allow them to have new ideas, try those new ideas, and then find a way to recover when you fail. I had a good friend I interviewed um, two weeks ago say it better than anybody I've heard say it. Um, as an entrepreneur, I want to fail as fast as I can. I want to fail as fast as I can because as soon as I fail, I know 
why that idea didn't work and I can get to the next idea. Um, and, and that mentorship process allows young people to grab onto somebody, sound, have a sounding board and also have a parachute when things don't work out like they're supposed to, a way to move forward and not step completely backward or fall off the ledge. Yeah, very interesting. Entrepreneurship in Oklahoma City is, uh, I mean, there are a lot of people out there that are launching businesses of of all types. And we talked a little bit before we started recording. Uh, Forbes had a recent article where Oklahoma City was ranked three or four um, in the best states to start a business, best cities to start a business. Um, it's got to be exciting. Well, it is exciting. It's exciting from a variety of levels. But since you're uh, more closely connected to the business atmosphere, what are your thoughts on that? I think if you want to be an entrepreneur, you need to live in Oklahoma City. And there's two reasons. One, the rules and laws here are very, very favorable for entrepreneurs. And number two, the energy right now in Oklahoma City is amazing. The things that I'm seeing young people try to do and accomplish uh, in the events I go to is unbelievable. We, we had a young lady that's trying to change the way people learn through the internet. Now, is that new? No, but the way she's doing it is new. And the, the way she's leveraging her experience teaching is enabling people to transition from one job to another. It's giving them the skill sets right there on their computer. They don't have to go anyplace. They have it. There's a lot of people that do it, but her way was different. She found a genuine pain point and leveraged her experience with technology to build a program to allow people to learn faster. I did an interview last week with a young man out of Tulsa who has a a website that discusses uh, the master memory. And he talks about how to remember things. And one of his things he talks about is the memory palace. I'd never thought about it. But he said, when you look, when you think about an event in life or the place, it's easier to remember anything, a name, a number, a word. Um, and he, he kind of played the game with me on our podcast. And what I learned is you have a 28-year-old young man who's taken science and leveraged his experience and now he's built a business to help people learn Spanish and help people learn French and help people learn math because he's tapping into a resource that we don't normally think about tapping into. He used an example of think about where you grew up. And when he did that, my, my, a light came on and that was 35 years ago I was in this house. I could see the gold shag carpet and he said, remember these five numbers, you know, eight, three, four, two, seven, 15. And I said, got it. And I'm still, I still remember it. When I go back to that carpet place and that house and that smell, that memory pops right back into my head. Um, so the things young people are doing and the way they're leveraging their experience and what they've learned to help others is amazing. Somebody told me about the Memory Palace once, and I forgot who it was, but, uh, boy, that one fell flat. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, you didn't have a good palace. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess not. Um, for people that are in a business right now or doing a, they're doing a job, they're doing a job to make money and you know, they have an idea, they want to be an entrepreneur, or they hear they hear us talking, or they hear some of these stories about all these businesses launching around town. Um, what advice might you have for someone that's in that position? It's the same advice I've given lots of people. And there's two types of people in the world. There's Americans and there's Americans. And what I will tell you is it's very easy to sit in a desk in a comfortable desk and get your paycheck every week and be miserable. A lot of people do it. A lot of people in the world do it. And they, and they just, 
They just do it because they feel like that's what they have to do. You don't. There's always a way to solve the problem. There's always a way to find a solution. But more importantly, you have to be passionate about what you were doing. The one thing that I can say to everyone with conviction is that I have been passionate about my jobs my entire life. I was blessed to go to the Air Force Academy. I was blessed to go fly airplanes. I was blessed to work in the personnel center learning about human resources. I was blessed to go work in energy space and learn about energy. I'm blessed today to go out and talk to people about leadership and training and development and mentorship. I mean, you have to be passionate about what you're doing. If you're sitting at a desk right now and you're not passionate, go do something else. Do not live your life in misery. Your family won't be happy. You won't be happy. You'll take up bad habits that you don't want to take up. So find your passion and embrace it and go do it. It's a lot easier to um, make a paycheck doing something you love than it is to make a paycheck doing something you don't love. Yeah, very good. You've uh, you've been working with the legislature on compressed natural gas and, and getting those, and we see more and more stations coming up. What exactly have you been doing there? What's your involvement? The challenge with, with compressed natural gas for the state of Oklahoma, and it's actually a national challenge, is that there's a bunch of different rules out there. And I won't get into the specifics of the rules, but there's a lot of governing bodies. Um, Governor Fallon has been a huge advocate of alternative fuels, especially natural gas. And she is frankly the reason our state has grown as fast as, as it has. So what we have done is we built a committee with the Department of Labor when they took over the responsibility for compressed natural gas fuel stations. The industry leaders worked with them to help them navigate the rules and put a bill up to the state house and Senate to approve natural gas legislation. As part of that, as with any government agency, there's other government agencies that have rules. So I'm currently serving on the Oklahoma Uniform Building Code Commission Alt Fuels Committee. And we're going through all the rules right now to make sure that we're in compliance, that the legislative rules match what the code enforcers are going to have to deal with and how do we translate that to them. Um, and, And I will tell you that these rules will most likely be adapted by most states uh, watching us today. I know Colorado is looking at us. Oklahoma, or Texas is looking at us as well um, because what they have done, the team at the Department of Labor and the Oklahoma Uniform Building Code Commission have done is they have nicely packaged an easy way to move forward um, with infrastructure development for compressed natural gas and training for technicians. I'll, I'll tell you, frankly, you know, five years ago, all you needed was a building and a sign to be a technician on a CNG vehicle. There wasn't a lot of training required. That is changing. And, and there's an inspection arm to that to enforce it. So, you know, those cars you're getting are very safe. They're in compliance. They're the right thing to drive. I mean, I'm I'm, high, I'm super excited about what the state's done to move that forward. Mm-hmm. So you feel that the uh, the state as a whole is not just on compressed natural natural gas, but I mean, overall moving in the right direction um, with where we're going with things. With things such as alternative fuels, absolutely. I, I think that you know we're we're a leader. We're we're a natural leader on the front. I, I got to speak at a couple of conventions across the nation in reference to natural gas and alternative fuels. And we are the example. We are the people that other states come to and ask questions. How did you do this? How did you grow your infrastructure so fast? How did you build the market? Um, And there's a lot of people engaged in that. I mean, OnQ Express is a huge supporter and advocate um, of growing the natural gas infrastructure in the state. And they are are great people and and they're all Okies and they're all wonderful. And I, I can't say enough good things about those guys, but 
you have to understand the challenge with shifting from gasoline to natural gas is infrastructure development. If you don't build the infrastructure, people aren't going to buy the cars. Um, we started off two years ago on the project I'm, I've kind of I'm working on working with the Postal Service on how to transition them from gasoline powered vehicles to natural gas vehicles. And the challenge we learned through that two years of experience was the reason they can't switch their fuel source is because there's no infrastructure hmm. and they don't want to build gas stations. Right. So, you know, if we want to if we want to leverage our greatest natural resource, then we have to do our part as business leaders to grow the infrastructure. Yeah. So how does that happen? I mean, where do we go from here? Uh, we continue on the pace we're going with right now. Uh, there's a lot of people that are fearful about switching because gasoline is so inexpensive um, and oil prices are down. Oil prices won't stay down. Sure. So what, what I tell fleet managers I, I speak with and what I've told many of the car manufacturers I've spoken with is if you're going to bet your future on the price of gas, you're making a bad bet because my experience in the Middle East is something will happen. Something will disrupt the supply chain and something will force those prices to go back up. And the biggest challenge for a fleet manager that has lots of vehicles is managing their fuels budget. Um, I've worked with companies that have saved millions of dollars because they have transitioned from gasoline to natural gas vehicles. And the common, the common comment I hear, well, they're not as powerful. You know, they don't do what I need them to do. Well, this is a construction company and their leadership and ownership is tickled pink about their natural gas vehicles and they're an Oklahoma-based company and they do work nationwide. Um, and the amount of money they're saving is allowing them to beat the pants off their competitors because they can bid lower because it costs them less to do business. Yeah. And it's hard to compete with that. Yeah. What do you see as uh, the business climate, um, the entrepreneurship climate? And we've obviously talked about where we rank right now, but what do you see coming in the future as you look at things? A lot of great things are happening in Oklahoma City. Um, GE coming in town with the research center is huge. Um, what I think you're going to see over the next five years in Oklahoma City, I think you're going to see the technology sector grow. There's there's a huge open space, I feel like, in Oklahoma City for that to grow. Um, I think you're going to see the energy industry is going to rebound. Um, I know there's been a lot of negative things that have happened in the past few weeks, but it will rebound. The aviation space is going to grow enormously uh, over the next few years. And, and one fact I found out last week is that aviation-related jobs are – encompass 26% of the jobs in Oklahoma. I was surprised. I figured energy was the number yeah, one player, but it's not. Um, so aerospace aviation is going to grow. The KC-46 is coming to Tinker, um, which is huge for, for Tinker and for the team out there. So I think you're going to see a lot of business grow and come to Oklahoma City because it's new business. I mean, the KC-46 is a brand new airplane just off the line, and we're going to get to see the job growth through that for local businesses that can service that airplane and those uh, workers. Oh, very interesting. Well, you host a podcast called the Bold Leadership Podcast, and people can listen to that for uh, more information and uh, leadership tidbits and some great guests that you have on there. And if they want to uh, find out more about uh, entrepreneurship, uh, leadership development, how can people find you, Dave? Uh, website's the best. It's www.theevansgp.com. And the Bold Leadership Podcast is on iTunes. So just type in Bold Leadership and it'll pop right up. 
It's new, so bear with me. I am no Jason, um, <laughs> but I'm working on it. His radio voice is very good. Well, I, I'm pretty impressed with you. I And I'm <laughs> so, actually excited. I think you're the first pers- person that's been a guest on here that actually is uh, doing another podcast. So uh, very I cool. Will t- if, you don't do, if you don't listen to podcasts, there is so much good information out there. If oh, you're an absolutely. entrepreneur and you're not listening, you're crazy. Go listen to Seth Godin. Go listen to the the leaders out there, and you will learn more than you will ever know, and your your business will launch much faster. Yeah, and listen to Dave Evans on the Bold Leadership Podcast, and uh, and listen to us and some of our other great shows on Oklahoma Talking Company. That's OklahomaTalking.co. You can find us uh, at that website. You can also find us on iTunes with the OKC Show and Dream OK. And Rhonda Boyle's Activate Your Strengths podcast, also available on iTunes. So we hope you'll check all of the great shows out and some of the other cool things we have going on. We have some new things coming down the the pipeline here at Oklahoma Talking Company, and it's going to uh, be fun and exciting. And we can't wait to tell you more about it. So we thank everybody for listening. We'll see you next time. We are out of here. The OKC Show is a production. Destiny Creative.